0: Land light, Radio and Radio high Energy No Filter Oh yeah. Alright folks back here with uh, Joe Geldoff and Juno, how you doing?
1: Well it's nice to be with you, Jeff.
0: I gotta say, I was gonna do this about a month ago when I was leaving Juno before I left Juno and we were in this room, this off this office conference room across from the Capitol, which is which is awesome, MEBA. Marine, MEBA, Engineers Beneficial Association, right? Yes,
1: the Marine Engineers Beneficial Association.
0: Been very kind to let me use the the room for doing podcasts. But the old uh, recorder I had, the SD card got stuck inside it because the lock mechanism got jammed and I couldn't get it out. And I ended up yanking it out with pliers and then it broke the SD. Anyways, I had to buy a new machine. I
1: wouldn't touch any of those lines with a 10 foot pole, Jeff.
0: Well, we weren't, weren't able to do it then, which would have been actually good because you're in the news now with this lawsuit against the legislature for accepting this COVID money. But it's almost better we're doing it now because if we did it then, folks would have gone back and said, what's this guy talking about? But now we can talk about um, the lawsuit. But before we go into the lawsuit, I want to talk about how I first came across you. And it's a great story. So about two years ago, it must have been two years ago, maybe a little longer, I got a text from a staffer who was like, you have to turn on. Uh, this committee, I think it was Judiciary Committee or some committee, and you were testifying public testimony, and there was the distillery issue.
1: Oh, yes. I I, re- I vaguely recall that. So
0: there was a distillery issue, and some ro- some AG or somebody went, as you said, some rogue AG, and they made it very difficult for the distilleries, and you referred to um, this person as a goofball, and you were public test, in public testimony, and I was watching it, and at the time, Representative Sadler really kind of went after you for that. Who? who? Dan Sadler. Who? Oh, yeah, I see what you're doing there. Oh. But it, it got to the point where you, uh, you referenced some former legislator, and you kind of almost told him you wanted to go outside with him, because if if, he told you to apologize. Now,
1: no, 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 I, no, I have some. You're refreshing my memory here, Jeff. What happened, I think I referred to in my testimony uh, that the opinion that came out that there couldn't be any dancing or, or meetings in the distilleries, uh, the, the, didn't they call that the, the the no fun application?
0: Basically, like they you know mix, they couldn't they stopped the mixing of the drinks, but you couldn't have any you know whatever. Yeah, you couldn't put the
1: cranberry juice in your vodka or something. They could only give you a, a straight shot of vodka, and, and, and there was no dancing or games. And then
0: there. the juice separately or the mixer separately, and you could mix it yourself.
1: Yeah, and that was an opinion rendered by I can't remember whether it was an assistant AG or the director came up with it. That was the director, the then director, who got. Canned, I think, uh, down the trail. Mm-hmm. That was since, since, yeah, that's since how that. they were applying the law, and I looked at the law, and a number of other people looked at the law, and I said that's a goofball interpretation, and if that's what the opinion was, it's a goofball decision, and I, I thought it was goofball. I think the public
0: thought that. I mean, thinks that too. It's still unresolved. I mean, they tried to pass a bill to resolve these alcohol problems. The Senate passed it, but it oh, hasn't, the, it, the it, Title Four, the Title it, Four, we passed the Senate, didn't pass the House, and it's so close to getting. You know, even now they just went in yesterday. The House has since left, but there was some, it was on the schedule. So there was some talk that maybe the House was going to well, pass it. Well,
1: there is, our legislature over this issue or a number of issues is not generally perceived as a well oiled, fully functioning organization. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, you're right. I, I said goofball, and that was a term, you, you know, you can't really say what you really feel in these kind of legislative well, bodies. It's inappropriate. So I said that, and I guess uh, you're right. Representative Sadler took issue with my characterization of the decision as a goofball decision. But you, you referenced
0: some former legislator. You said back in the 80s, this person would, would if it was, oh, he was here, well, I right, would go outside I, and have a...
1: Yeah, you're, I'm starting to recall this now. <laughs> So having said goofball, Representative Sadler was adamant that I needed to apologize. Correct, yep. And I, I said, well, what am I apologizing for? And he was very <laughs> strong. So oh, I, remember, point, I remember. To the committee chair was... Um, handing notes to the page who was apologizing to me for Representative Sadler's (laughs) conduct. And and it was all kind of amusing until he kept harping and insisting that I apologize. And I said, Representative Sadler, I have spent a lot of time in this building going back a lot of years. And I said, I don't think goofball rises to the level of of hostility. I recall the time when uh, Lou Dishner, who was uh, Bill Egan's first commissioner of labor, and his best friend in the world, Alex Miller, who had been an advisor to... Uh, they, be, they became he, lobbyists. Yes, they became bit. very potent lobbyists. And they really liked each other, and they worked together. But there were times when, and there was one time, the two of them were so mad at each other, they got in a fistfight and were rolling around on the floor in the elevator well. Now, so Oh, my God. That's kind of my standard for a real disagreement. And, you know, frankly, I don't remember... What Mr. Miller and Mr. Dishner were fighting about, but I didn't think that referring to a decision by the director and the attorney general's office that was obviously inconsistent with the way the law was actually written, uh, characterizing that as a goofball decision, didn't rise to the level of that. And I guess some people thought I was asking Representative Sadler to step out of the back side door. <laughs> That's what I and, and have a fist fight. But you know, I, you know, I'm too old to get in a fist fight, uh, even on a hockey rink, much less with Representative Sadler. Besides, it wouldn't even be fun. Well, the, the, you know, he basically doesn't seem to me the guy who could hold his own in a, you know, on a bar fight against a drunk. So,
0: <laughs> the whole thing kind of de-escalated pretty quickly. Anyways, well, um, the chair,
1: the the chairman of the proceeding wasn't that state affairs i think it was the state affairs committee maybe
0: it was this
1: yeah. started to rein in representative sadler who was as near as i can tell incapable was of just controlling it himself. was just
0: bizarre because he really kept just he went on this thing and you guys he just kept like kind of doubling down on it and he was really adamant that you apologize and then eventually well, he just kind of all stopped but it was i just it stuck out to me as and then the person i said who's the person testifying and the staffer told me some guy named geldoff and i thought it was like a like a Gandalf. I thought it was like a character from like a Lord of the Rings or The Hobbit or something. No, no.
1: Well, you know, Representative Sadler had a fairly consistent history of doubling down on dumb. So, yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's why he's not in the legislature anymore, I think.
0: Well, he sure. tried to challenge uh, Reinbold for the Senate seat. That's what happened. Well. Go big or go home.
1: Uh, yeah. And he's at home. Well, no, he got a job. He's with you know, uh, DNR. Yeah. You know, Everybody you know, gets a sinecure around here. Apparently, you know, good thing we're rich because you can put political hacks you know, are we, on the I payroll. Are we rich and still? Oh, we must be because we're putting people who had no value to transactions like uh, Dan Sadler back on the payroll. hundred and some thousand, must be. Well, like I say. I'm, I'm, wait, I'm waiting for one of those patronage. Good thing we're rich. <laughs> so.
0: um, anyways, let's, let's get into more about you now. I met you when I came to Juneau, I guess not last session, 2019 session, and we got to know you a little bit. I saw you in the Capitol. I met you when you were with Clem uh, not this last session, but in 2019, where I did the podcast with Clem Tillion. Oh, Killian. yes, Clem
1: Tillian. Now it almost makes me nostalgic. There's somebody, right or wrong, who knew how to run the chamber of which he was. He he said the times he said
0: the troopers after the uh, two senators that went rogue, and he he made him come back in cuffs.
1: Well, that was the old Alaska where we got things done, and if you had to get the gendarmes out, that's what you did. So when did you you move you moved here? Where did you move from? I I moved in the 70s, and I came from. Uh, well, actually, I came from Europe because I had been over there visiting my wife's family and uh is she wheres she from Well, she's from Pennsylvania, but her mother was from the Netherlands, so we were over visiting relatives and we uh came back and picked up an automobile that we had left outside of New York City and drove to Prince Rupert and got on the ferry and got off in Oak Bay and uh we've been here ever since any reason uh yeah, I'm frankly as is my wife, attracted to big mountains and big rivers and lots of wildlife and clean air. On this beautiful place we call home.
0: So, why why Juneau? Why not Anchorage or, you know, well,
1: like I say, I'm attracted to mountains and, uh, you know, we got the, the we ocean. Got the, we,
0: we, our mountains are way bigger. You've got
1: mud flats and you can see the mountains on a clear day. You know, My, miles and, miles and is
0: 13,000 feet, right? And 80 miles from, 100 miles from Anchorage.
1: I, I know. Well, the old adage about, you know, if you live in Anchorage, you're only, what, 15, 20 minutes. Flying time from Alaska. You know, I, I think that's essentially correct. <laughs> I've, I've heard that There's before. a lot of wonderful people in Anchorage, but let's not carry it away. It's <laughs> the, just basically flat land that, where actually, they built the railroad. Uh, you know, it's, it's actually, the, the port is bad. You know, it's, it's a prosaic it's, it's, place to live.
0: It's actually so, that's David, I've heard that before. It's so true, though, because if you get into a small plane, float plane or whatever, and you, if, you, if you take off from Maryland, you go 20, 30 minutes to the west— yeah, I mean you are in a whole different world.
1: No, you're in Alaska. You're
0: you're as you said, you're in Alaska, but it's it's just you're That's a good that's a it's well, let's be realistic.
1: That, you're down here. This is really the British Columbia part of Alaska. I mean, it's fjord country. Here, here's and, a,
0: here's a here's a quick uh, trivia for you. How many uh, area codes does Alaska have? Just one. It's not correct.
1: Oh, two. Shemia has one? Two.
0: Um Oh, Hyder. Hyder has the British Columbia. Was it 206 or Oh yeah. No, that's Seattle. Um let me just look this up here real quick. That's a good trivia question.
1: Well, you know, and actually that reminds me, you know, Clem Tillian once tried to trade Hyder for the Yukon Territory, and he was close. 250, getting,
0: 250. 250. That's Hyder. Hyder. Yeah. So part, yeah. that little part of Alaska has the... Wait a second. He wanted to trade
1: what? Hyder. Alaska. He was working a trade to trade Hyder for the Yukon. The, the, the entire Yukon? Yeah. I thought it was a good deal. He, he had it mostly done, but the parliament back in Ottawa what balked.
0: UConn's it. huge. I mean, it's
1: I, I know. Like I say, it was a good trade. But why, would they want, have,
0: why would they want it? Like, why would they even agree? Like, well, I guess they didn't agree to it, but why would they even consider that?
1: Well, it's like people who are good at deals, you know, they, it's, you always get to propose and then negotiate. And, uh, like the uh,
0: art of the deal. Like,
1: the, like Trump. Oh, no, <laughs> not a, Well, the art of the let's, Can we confine this to just Alaska? We don't need to deal with the president.
0: I'll just say one more thing. Trump does have an Alaska connection. I mean, his grandfather, grandmother, one of them was here in Daii. During yes, the, he did. Uh,
1: no, I think it was his uh, grandfather ran the groceries and girls. Right um, Dur- during, you know, the, during uh, the gold rush.
0: Gold rush, right? Yeah, he talks about that sometimes. Well,
1: well, he should. I mean, groceries and girls is a venerable, it, it's long, like, you know, established it, practice in like any, old Alaska.
0: Any big rush or you know any kind of boom, it's it's like usually it's not the guys going for the gold. It's the guys selling tools or booze or women, whatever it is. That, those are the people who made all the money.
1: I, I, I think. History has shown that to be true. So
0: you came in the seventies, but so you didn't. You were southeast. You were. You really weren't probably seeing much of the, the pipeline, boom. I mean, a little bit probably, but not like people who are in Anchorage or Fairbanks, fair
1: Yeah, I saw the the big echo, which is that the money started flowing in, and. Uh, but no, I didn't work on the line. Um, what, what year did you get here? We got here in the late seventies, so nineteen seventy nine.
0: Oh, so because the pipeline was the pipeline was built, was the, the money over. was
1: starting. To roll in, it was like in the pipeline, and it it hit like a tidal wave in the early 80s.
0: Now, had you already gone to law school, or was that later? I had. So you came here as a lawyer, and I know you were an assistant AG for a while, right?
1: Uh, 11 and a half years,
0: yeah. Did you do that right away, or did you do something else at first?
1: No, I actually uh, engaged in lobbying and legislative work, and um, I found out later I was asked by a law firm to go to work for them because I had beat one of their clients on a deal, and as a result... That I worked uh, for a firm, Ron Birch and Birch Horton Bittner and Monroe. Chero. Well, it's Chero now, but the guy I really worked for was a little bit. I know. I know. I know
0: John Bittner, who's the son of yeah of
1: Hal, who died out uh, west. But um, Bruce Monroe was a former commissioner of labor, and he was the principal in the Juno office. So I worked for Mister Monroe and Mister Birch.
0: So you were you were around during the I guess the Egan or I'm sorry, in the Egan um, Sheffield.
1: No, I actually uh, did lobbying and uh, legal work during uh, Jay Hammond's last couple of years. Oh,
0: so you did work with, did you know him? or?
1: Well, I knew him enough to talk about flying F-4Us out in the Pacific and uh, airplanes and what he liked about Alaska. But, you know, I wasn't a Jay Hammond protege. So, I, I got to know him a little bit working, you know, later on with uh, Walter J. Hickel and people when we were Working on various public issues, but uh.
0: someone told me I think it was Kent Kent Dawson told me he was chief of staff. Um, he told me that at one point, you know um, Hammond still he was pilot bush pilot he flew around and I guess he someone was flying around in his bush when he was governor and he saw a plane that went down and crashed and he landed and people were hurt and um, he helped him out and flew him out and kind of saved the day right. It was it was it was like reported. I, mean, I guess a week later he was in D.C. and it was at dinner when. With President Carter and a bunch of people and a big DC dinner, and I guess I guess Carter was like, I heard about you like rescued some people that crashed, and you're, they let you know they let you fly around in that little plane. The Alaskans, and I guess Hammond's response was half of them
1: encourage it. <laughs> you know, people think of him now as kind of uh, you know Uncle Jay or this grandfatherly near Santa Claus figure, but uh, you know he had the heart of a warrior, and he came to Alaska flying a Grumman Duck. Uh, which was probably pretty easy for him to do doc is that like a goose that an
0: amphibious like goose or like- uh, it,
1: it is an amphibious plane it 's got a single big float and a little wing float it was a biplane and but you know he flew f uh, four u corsairs uh, out in the pacific yeah, I, 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 which I, I, is a handful of airplane for anybody, and he was always fairly nonchalant and low key about that but uh, you know with all the dog roll poetry and stuff like that he he was a serious, sober guy who cared very much for all parts of Alaska. And, and, you know, it's right up there. It's one of the top two or three best governors we've ever had and are likely ever to have.
0: I saw a uh, 60 Minutes episode from the 70s that somebody had shared and on YouTube, but it was um, kind of a profile of um, Jesse Carr, the labor teamster leader. And it was all about him, but it was, they interviewed Hammond, the whole. Program involved Hammond and they were kind of going at it and I think they asked Hammond you know people say you're the second most powerful person in the state or behind Jesse Carr and during the pipeline days Hammond kind of laughed and said well you know you never you never know it could be either one of us but it was really interesting the way he spoke about Carr and about everything going on I mean he just seemed like a very uh would have loved to have been around back then
1: you know the the, the pipeline was an extraordinary event um n- not brought in on time and and uh under budget Um, I think
0: it was like 10 times over budget or something crazy.
1: Yeah, they did because they basically did a cost plus thing and everybody was hogging up on it. But, uh, you know, we got that done. And the Teamsters local, T959, I actually did a spot of work for them back in the early days when I was at Birch Horton. They they were almost literally rolling in money. So all of a sudden they had a jet for the officers They they built a hospital, didn't they? They built a hospital. They had a prepaid legal program where uh, I I one time, Mr. Birch called me and said, "Gellaf, get down to Ketchikan on the next plane uh, and take over this case. And I said, and it's about, and he said, somebody will send you material, just get down there. And it turns out a teamster uh, had been uh, shot and killed by a person who was alleged to have been his wife. And uh, the first thing I got down there was, took the statement and dealt with the case and realized I I can't deal with a homicide case. And I called for backup. And the second one, I called the uh, trust, and I said, are we really required to defend a spouse of a member who's alleged to have killed them? And uh, and the the trustees took a look at it and called back and said, we have to do it, that's what the law requires. And I said, you might want to think about the terms of uh, coverage. And they said, we're already looking at that. So so, what's my point? I, you know, I caught the tail end of the big money with the Teamsters. And, of course, eventually it imploded. And uh, uh, that's one of the problems, whether it's the Teamsters or the state of Alaska. When organizations wind up with vast amounts of money, as the Teamsters did, as we Alaskans did, it's pretty easy to squander yeah. and not make intelligent, thoughtful, rational decisions. but. We just soldier on, try to do the best we can.
0: I just heard a story. I was talking to a lobbyist who had been around a long time, but I guess Carr, you know, was in, in himself a big character, kind of larger than life. But I guess um, there was a no-strike clause in the contract. Like, can never, can never strike. But I guess what happened was, um, as I was told the story, there was a guy who got a job as a teamster, and he was uh, a black guy. He went up to work, and uh, he got on the bus, and these guys were being real mean to him, calling him, words you, you, know, you can imagine. And the bus driver uh, told him, knock it off. We don't treat people like that, you know. He's here to work, like, stop. And he kind of intervened and, and said, you know, stop. So later, uh, these guys who, white guys, right, that the bus driver told them knock it off, they they beat him up pretty good. I mean, they, they hurt him bad. And broke his arms, I think, and really not good. And um, I guess Jesse Carr found out about it. And he ordered every. This is what I was told the story by this person. He ordered everybody to strike for a day, and uh, when they said there's no strike, so well, we we don't you don't treat our people like that. Well, which is I think the right. You know, that's probably what I would do.
1: I, I, I'm not overly nostalgic for the old Alaska where people like Mister Carr and Mister Dishner and kind of Mister Miller ran the show, and huh? Jay Hammond ran the show. But you know, they were tough guys who had gone through the depression, who had been through World War II, and they knew what life was really about and they were not inclined to act like feckless weenies the way Representative Sadler did on that day. (laughs) But, but, you know, this is now. This is contemporary Alaska, and we have to deal with the material we've got.
0: Well, I mean, speaking of that, I was talking to just somebody earlier today about this. Um, You know, whether it's Trump or Putin or whatever, um, I think people generally like a strong person. They like somebody, even if they don't necessarily agree with them, they respect a strong person or somebody who's going to stand up and, you know, do what they say and not be apologetic and it seems like we used to have a lot more of that maybe in this state in this country going back decades
1: pick your you know if you want strong hard-working individuals look at women like jane goodall who's devoted Mm -hmm. her entire life to doing what's right for chimpanzees and other primates you know there's any number look at look at you know mother Teresa. you know you want strong those are strong people you know, Jess Carr and Lou Dishner—they did what was right under the circumstances in kind of a men's world and a tough guy fashion. Um, I wish there we had strong leadership now uh, that would get us through this financial uh, ex- uh, the financial crisis associated with the COVID. But you know, look at our our chief health officer right now. She is doing a really good job, and and to his credit, Governor Dunleavy is listening to the medical doctors and he's slowly opening our economy in a thoughtful way. Um, that's what leadership is about. You know, it's and, and Governor Dunleavy has lost his way. I mean look at it, he started listening to Tuckerman Babcock of all people, you know. And pretty soon, you know, we got the revenge you know Shame. scenario in, in play and, you know, we're we're firing people who are doing their job. We're we're you know, engaging in all kinds of goofball machinations. Um, because Tuckerman finally gets his hands on the, the, the throttle of government and starts settling scores instead of governing for the people. And, you know, Dunleavy finally realized that and he brought in a chief of staff who's kind of making the trains run on time, and uh, things are steady now. But Tuckerman Babcock put the governor in a grievous position in less than a year. To the yeah, point where well, I mean, was getting I think, recalled, I
0: think it was right off the bat the whole loyalty call it pledge, or whatever you want to call it. The whole, you know, that was just a bad. That was a bad miscalculation. Well, well
1: when you put a weasel in charge as chief of staff, you're going to get bad results.
0: Um, I mean, your, your comment about the trains running on time. I mean, I, I think, and I, I'm very new. I've been covering the legislature in here for a couple of years and watching, but I just think the, the public and even most people who run for office. I mean, I think they're just totally un, unaware of, of how many. Little things have to happen every day that nobody ever sees for, for things to just run properly.
1: Well, right. And, you know, Ben Stevens has at least got the trains running on time, more or less. Uh, you know, but a good number of people in the legislature, they're, they're nicer people than I am. But, you know, half of them, they couldn't get elected to the, you know, to the student government in, uh, in junior <laughs> high. And so this is like the capstone of their, their okay. life is it's, it's validating for them. But, you know, they have a job to do down here. And the job is defined by the Constitution and the statutes, and you know you never go wrong if you follow the Constitution. You know, if you follow the statutes, that usually plays out pretty well. It and of, that's all the citizens want and need.
0: It kind of amazes me that you know I've, I know most legislators, and um, you know I have respect for, for for all of them, but some of the people I don't I don't understand their motivations to be here. I don't. They don't. They're they're either nervous to do what, what the right thing or what they want to do because they want to get reelected or. They don't think about, you know, next week, let alone next month or next, you know, next year, let alone next week. And there just seems to be, you know, very few people that I think really want to do the right thing regardless of the consequences. And I guess, I mean, the biggest people want to get reelected. It's a pretty good gig. You know, it's not as good as it used to be when there was a lot of money, but you get paid and you kind of have a title. And I think some folks just that title means more than anything else.
1: Well, you may be onto something there, Jeff, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, what we as Alaskans should do is look at people who are truly service oriented and that have a demonstrated ability to deliver in an efficient manner. Well,
0: well the, 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 according
1: to the rules of the Constitution and the statute.
0: I think the single biggest um, factor preventing more people from running or higher co- caliber candidates. And I've said this before: is the pay. I mean, fifty thousand dollars. If you if you have a job and you're making a hundred thousand or hundred and fifty thousand, or you're you know part of a family that's making more more than that, um, to give that up and come to Juno for three or four or five months, you're losing income. You're 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 getting scrutinized by people like me, and uh, you know the the I, I personally I think we should pay them a lot more. Raise the pay. Don't do per diem. Pay them a hundred and fifty and then you can all of a sudden get more people to want to run uh, who wouldn't take as much of an economic hit from you know, making... Well,
1: I, I have to disagree with you in part. I mean, you're, you're not completely wrong, but the fact of the matter is the best public servants are here because they want to serve and they want to get something done. And it's not a job and, and a salary and everything else. They have but, a job to do according to the Constitution. But, you know, saying that if they just paid $150,000, uh, that somehow magically the laws they pass and the acts that they engage in would somehow get better. Well, there's, I, there's, I just don't, a, I don't,
0: th- I don't believe that. There's a huge void of people, and I've talked to them before, friends or people I know, hey, why don't you run? It's always, are you crazy? I gotta go to junior for three or four or five no, months. I I, I disagree pay, with you. For example, it's supposed to be a citizen legislature. But the reality is the regular citizen, the average citizen, can't take three or four or five months off work. And oftentimes it's you know more than that. But then even when you're not in session, there's still work to be done. There's still things to do. So it, it's supposed to be a citizen legislature, but the reality is it's more it's more it's a full time job.
1: No, I think we don't want average people. We want extraordinary Alaskans who are service driven and willing to put up with all the shenanigans but don't you want here. smart
0: people that really understand smart the Im- implications of all the things they're doing?
1: Smart and salary don't necessarily go together. And if you don't believe that, there's any the, number of people out there who are very rich and basically c- could not saddle a horse or, or string barbed that, 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 wire that, that, or anything that, that, else that's, that, that, that's real.
0: That's true, but there's, but there's a lot of people that aren't smart who make a lot of money for whatever reason, a lot of reasons there. But, but if you're a really smart person odds are you're going to get you know a good job and you're going to be successful.
1: Look, some of the people who are our best legislators, whether it was Hugh Malone, you know Dick Eliason from Sitka, I mean, there's any number of people you look in the past, they were terrific legislators because they listened, because they cared, because they worked cooperatively, even cheerfully most of the time, with everybody here, whether they you were know, native or non-native. It had nothing to do with money. I don't disagree
0: with that. I'm just saying the current system right now is set up in a way that dissuades or is not really attractive to people. You'd want to a lot of people. You'd want to it's run. It's not
1: supposed to be attractive. There's nothing about the qualifications for a good legislature that make attractive and comfortable for people. They come here because they need to come here bec- to serve. You, you think and if, to if, protect if, the if, Constitution.
0: You think if the pay structure was different, you, there wouldn't be. You think there'd be worse people. I mean, I think there'd be better pe- better people who would run.
1: Electoral politics is usually about clever campaigns and promising more than you can deliver.
0: But you have to get somebody to put their name forward. To-
1: you know, and I understand to go back to your point, people want a strong person, usually a strong man, which is synonymous with a dictator and everything. <laughs> you know, was not a gentle soul. He was a strong president, but he was a you know he operated within the confines of our our constitution. He believed in democracy. You know, he fought for democracy during World War II. And, you know, this business about if we just paid more, we get higher. You know, all you do is have higher paid goat ropers if you don't, if the public doesn't pay attention and get service-oriented people with a demonstrated ability to get the job done.
0: Well, I mean, I guess that's the other risk. But,
1: I mean,
0: moving on to the, we were talking about earlier, the the money and all these money, squandering money. And you're obviously part of this permanent fund defenders group, you and Clem Tillian and and many, uh, Wally Hickel, I think, right?
1: Well, Walter J. is no longer with us. The, the song, um, ja- Jack, Jack, sorry, Hickel Jack Hickel is a board member. I am a board member, as is Rick Halford and Juanita Casellas.
0: So what I was going to ask you, we talked really about, you know, squandering lots of money. We have this big permanent fund that we, um, you know, built over the last 40 some years, which is great. But we've also squandered a lot of money. In the 80s, you know, the budget of North Slough Borough was more than Chicago. And there's you know, billions of, over these decades. You know, we had these two billion dollar capital budgets ten years ago, when the money was there.
1: Uh, I know I, you're sounding like a politician. I don't think it was two billion dollars. There, there, there was well, a, under, no, under no, Governor Parnell. We had one that was over a billion. But no, it was no, the biggest too.
0: capital budget was 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 over two billion. Okay, I'll, I'll show you. Well, I'll
1: defer to you. you and, and that was when
0: nothing got vetoed either. When, when there was all well, yeah, all this money, but we
1: basically had the Republicans running everything. So, so much for small government and living and, within and your I, means. And I
0: believe me, I've been openly critical of when the, when, the, when the Republicans yeah. had the full control. It got, you know, there was, that's when the deficit started and they kept spending. And by the the way, I am a Republican.
1: I'm one of those old Jay Hammond, small government, maximum liberty, you know, Republicans, and there's hardly any of us left.
0: So so, as somebody who supports the full dividend, and I understand, I mean, I I think my my view is they should have dealt with this statute, this formula years ago, five or six, four or five years ago. But do you also think that we've created a situation where people come to expect this money and, you know, no matter what the situation of the state is, be damned we have we we want this check and 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 there wasn't the whole reason i mean I've, I've watched the videos and read the minutes i mean hammond wanted the income tax he was sad that went away uh and, and they all said that this was created for a time when the oil couldn't turning a non-renewable resource into a renewable resource the, the permanent fund wasn't the whole point of this to help us and pay for government when the oil couldn't do that anymore you know
1: i don't think it it was exclusively for paying for government. This was not a rainy day account for government services. It, they, they set up the fund because, you know, as I understand it, and I listen to the stories from people who were actually there, including Clem Tillian and Jay Hammond. They realized that the legislature was going through all the money, like the proverbial stuff, through the goose, and that it was incumbent upon adults, and there were adults in the legislature, to save a portion of it for future generations. Which, which
0: uh, Great idea. Great, great idea. idea. Very forward thinking.
1: And that was Hugh Malone and Oral Freeman from Can, and a number of other people who came together and said, we can't just spend 100% of the money that's coming through. Let's set aside 25% and put it into a permanent fund, which is kind of a trust fund, but not a pure trust fund. The thought being, save that for future generations. Well, they didn't designate how it would be spent. It wasn't just for government or anything else. It was just reserved for the future. Saving was a good thing. So they did that. And this was,
0: I think, six years before the dividend even came about.
1: That's correct. Well, they took some runs at it, and Hammond was very disappointed because his attorney general said, you can't just do it by statute. You have to amend it to get around the dedication. Is that uh,
0: Al Gross's dad?
1: Yes, it is. Avram Gross. So we amended our Constitution to allow for a dedication of funds, which is generally prohibited by our Constitution, Um, just like we amended the Constitution to allow for a dedication of fish with the limited entry regime. And the money is starting to pile up. Jay Hammond was part of creating the permanent fund, although he was less important than Hugh Malone and Oral Freeman and other legislators. But they all agreed, save it. And then Hammond's keen insight was you can't just have this massive savings account uh this sort of quasi trust fund you need to have the individual citizens having a stake in this so that there, there's a tie to it so there's a relationship between this big fund so let's give them a dividend and they tried uh, attempt to pay a dividend based on durational residency residency if you'd been here one year you got 50 bucks if you'd been here 10 years you got 500 bucks you can see how that goes mm-hmm. Ronzo Bell and penny zobell said, you can't make those kind of allocations based on durational residency. Uh, that's impermissible. It's unconstitutional. And sure, and the legislature passed the statute with the durational residency allocation. It went to court, was struck down. So they came back in, and they created the statute in the early 80s, the one that, that worked It went for, to the Supreme Court, didn't it? Uh, it did go to the U.S. Supreme Court. Yeah. yeah. And Alaska got smoked. So they came back and they, they came up with plan B, which was Tillion and other people were part of that, which basically said, as the amount of money that's earned in the fund, the permanent fund, you know, the citizens will get a share of that and it can rise and fall depending on the earnings. And for decades, like 30 years, that worked really well. It, it broadened our economy, diversified our economy in ways that Promoted the private sector, gave more individual freedom. And, you know, sure, some people got the money and went to Disneyland or some something. that great Big screen TV. Yeah, big screen TVs or whatever. You know, uh, the, the, the proverbial story about we chartered a beaver and we brought in, you know, 75 cases of whiskey and everybody was drunk. <laughs> I mean, we, we've all heard the horror stories. But what we don't focus in on is that people save that money for their kids' education, um, People used that money to buy fuel and parts for their outboard and cartridges oh, so they well, could engage well, in subsistence hunting. When I, when and I've, it was great right I up mo- until Bill Walker and, and the legislature started shopping it. What was that, three years ago? Oh, five years ago.
0: Uh, when I moved to Alaska in 2004, I went to UA, and I didn't know anything about the permanent— I mean, I kind of knew in the ether There's some— if you live in Alaska, you get paid money, you know, this kind of— yeah. people heard that but didn't know anything about it. But my first kind of— uh, experience or, or under, really understanding of, of how kind of beneficial it was to Alaskans it was one of those guys I went to UA with Ryan's name went from Fairbanks and he was my age 19. And, and uh, I mentioned one day, Oh, you know, student loans and pay tuition. And he goes, Oh, you know, I, I don't have to pay any tuition. I said, how's that? And he says, my parents saved all my dividends. And I didn't really know. And then I, that's when I started to really understand it. But they saved every one of his dividends. And right. Put it in so the there's Collins exhibit
1: and, A of good spending by individual Alaskans. But do you think going back,
0: like, as you said, the Zobel case changed? I mean, there was a whole different plan of how they were going to pay these things. Also, there was a case in the 90s about permanent residents compared to U.S. citizens. And then that that got that won, so residents could get it. So from the original plan idea, it changed quite a bit over the time. And it, and it became... Much more uh, broader program. Do you th- do you think?
1: No, no. I'm going to disagree with you on that. The, the original intent was to tie the citizen savings account and, and give them a reason to think but, they they but, were actual stakeholders in it. But
0: it was based on longevity, like you said, and that right? Was and that's intent. an
1: impermissible allocate, That's an impermissible formula. But eventually, the legislature adopted a formula that was constitutional, and it worked great for thirty some years. Now. You know, when Bill Walker decided to cut the the, the dividend um, because we were in a, a tough financial patch, um, Bill Willakowski, Senator Wilikowski, and Clem Tillian and Rick Halford, you know, three staunch defenders of the permanent fund and people who believed in the permanent fund dividend uh, litigated that. And the Alaska Supreme Court... Determined that the dividend was not dedicated in the law. Only the putting the money into the corpus of the counter, the principal, was was you could dedicate mm. the permanent fund dividend. The Supreme Court ruled as a matter of constitutional law. W- you know could be uh, and was subject to appropriation, and people still disagree with that. Uh, but but, but it, that's but what
0: the law is but now. But for the past. Many de- you know three four decades or three decades plus um, it was just automatic. The Legislature approved that they they followed the statutory There wasn't any question about it. And then Walker changed that.
1: Well, Walker didn't change it. Walker
0: he changed how he, he changed lowered how much, the
1: amount by the statute. And and I think the reasoning. This is how I interpreted all these formulas, whether it's the school formula or the the uh, various formulas in law. When you build a budget they are guidelines, they are aspirational. It's just like a, a formula adopted in statute that says, we will pay this amount of school construction. Um, we, we will pay a permanent fund dividend. We will, and there's various other formulas. Uh, in, in statutory law, when you build a budget which is governed by the Constitution, the legislature is free to ignore those statutory provisions, it turns out the permanent fund dividend formula in statute was aspirational, not mandatory. A statute with a formula, whether it's the, the school funding formula, is subordinate to the constitutional language that the legislature sets the budget. So so your group
0: and you, I know there's different takes on this. My, my view is uh, obviously this uh, formula hasn't been followed for five years. The, the, Walker was the first one to do it, but then afterwards the legislature, they— issued a smaller than statutory dividend. That's right. I think they should have, is your view to, 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 to put the statute, the current formula in the constitution or is it to change it, which has been discussed some kind of 50-50 or 60-40 or something? I mean, I think it's wrong they didn't change the formula five years ago or four years ago or three years ago because I understand why people are upset. They say, this is on the books. We don't follow it. Obviously changing it, there's not the will to do that. But do you think the current, because it seems to me the current formula, I mean, you're looking at, if you look at even the payback, some folks, the governors, talking about that before payback, I mean, that's a lot of money. It's billions of dollars. I mean, a thousand dollar dividend, seven hundred million dollars. So, a, well, there's
1: a lot of things that you're asking there, Jeff. So l- let me take them kind big, of in reverse order. Big question. The big likelihood question. that there will be a reimbursement, payback, or an allocation pretty to l- pay back the so-called lost dividends, you know, Walker's chop, and and is zero.
0: Yeah, I agree with zero. You.
1: What I believe and other people, and I think I'm speaking for the permanent fund defenders here, is our first position, we would like the formula that worked for decades put into the Constitution. Whatever formula goes in there, though, whether it's the old statutory formula or a different formula that maybe pays a little bit less, the formula for the dividend absolutely must go into the Constitution or else the legislature can ignore it and do whatever they want.
0: So if it was constitutional, whatever the current one or a different one or a variation, now even trying to a, a, a payout, call it an entitlement or a check or a dividend, uh, if things got real bad and they're pretty bad right now, we have p- low prices, you know tourism sectors destroyed, mark, stock market's way down, which we rely on for earnings in the fund. Um, you could have a situation where we couldn't address our other obligations. Pensions, schools, roads, healthcare. Well, well, let's stop right there. Let's stop there. we're
1: six between six billion dollars and seven billion dollars short of fulfilling our required public employees' retirement system and teachers' employment retire system. Right, the yeah. peres We're already over six billion dollars short from meeting the financial call, and that's before the stock market took a little while. So, but going back, you know, people say, well, we shouldn't enshrine that. And, and I understand the arguments. All politicians, once they're in power, want to keep maximum flexibility in their options open. Um, my personal position, speaking for myself and not the permanent fund defenders, is I just want a workable, useful allocation formula for the permanent fund di- dividend in the Constitution, it doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be, my personal position, the old one. But I think the citizens, that is their savings account. But, but- and I think they deserve a little slice of the earnings, and it would be earnings from there. It's not a guaranteed thing. It's not a, you know, it must be $1,000 or everything. I, as a citizen, and I think all citizens, will take the risk and the reward. If the market's good and the earnings are great in any given year, then you get a little slice of that. But that's no different than buying stock, whether it's you know Ford or you know General Electric or Apple, everything. If 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 the board of directors said we are never paying a dividend, you'd think twice about owning that. You know your ownership in something. I, I don't. Dis- and it, and and so where I finally draw the line is: should we be using portions of the earnings from our savings account for government? Sure, but that needs to be balanced with. The needs to pay at least some dividend to the people who own the savings.
0: I don't disagree with much of what you just said. All I'm saying is by adding and by putting in the Constitution, you've essentially created another liability that's constitutionally it's mandated. It's not a
1: liability. It, no one, no one with normal economic analysis, only a politician would say it's another liability. You, what the dividend does is the connection. Between the people's savings account and their life and their activities, while they're pursuing their liberty rights, whether it's to do whatever they want, they should be getting a little sliver of the earnings from the money they saved in their constitution.
0: But you mentioned the board of directors example of never giving a dividend, stock dividend. Well, it's different. At the same time, they they would never say, we're putting this dividend in place no matter what. Because they want to leave themselves the ability to... I mean, right now, certain companies have stopped dividends.
1: Sure, for all the obvious reasons. But but here's where I side with the citizens of our state. There is, in the last 30 years, the political cast, particularly in the legislature, but including the governor, as you pointed out, there was a governor who, you know, they spent wildly on capital projects. There is no end to their desire to spend every dime they can get. I, I, I mean, they are even I, trying, I, I in that one I, case you alluded to, now they're trying to borrow money. You know, we can't, you know, spend our way out of our financial The, the tax Yeah. We, we can't save our way out of it. So now we've got people in the legislature who are trying to borrow our way into prosperity. I'm telling you, it comes down to discipline. And putting a small dividend requirement in the Constitution— will be the kind of disciplining matter that will help each and every Alaskan who gets it so to, to do and that, take money, a little bit of money, out of the hands of the politicians who are intent on spending every dime on what they think.
0: To, to do that would require um, some other kind of revenue, whether it's income taxes or sales tax. and Right now, the sales tax isn't as attractive as it was before this COVID thing. But um, no, the, 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 wait, wait,
1: wait, tell me that again. What are you saying?
0: If you put some kind of dividend um, into the Constitution, which is mandated to be paid... There's going to be a need for some additional, for sure, unless the price of oil well, I, skyrockets. I, I, I reject which we can't the expect. premise
1: here. Your your premise is that if you put a formula that pays each and every Alaskan a little bit of the earnings from their permanent fund, that that somehow leads to taxes. Well, right
0: now we're looking at if the revenue forecast stays the way it is and things stay the way they are, we're looking at next year a deficit with zero dividend. So we're going to need other. Means of revenue. That, I mean,
1: that is absolutely not true.
0: That's what the revenue, depending on the size of the budget, I guess. But it's that not
1: assumes gonna... that assumes that the dividend is the first place that gets cut, and it's one of the reasons why I think there should be a constitutional amendment that protects and preserves a dividend. For each and every Alaskan, that is fair, that is equitable. It's It'll keep diversifying and sustaining the private sector economy. And I know a lot of politicians say, well, and and frankly, the, the, the court case in the willakowski case, the Supreme Court basically said, you know, it has to compete, the dividend, with each and every other thing. So the politicians, the first thing they want to do is cut the dividend, a lot of them, not all of them, but they'll cut the dividend because they don't want to raise taxes. They'll cut the dividend because they'd rather spend all of the dividend money on programs and, and projects well, that pa- they think are better than giving a little bit of money to each Alaskan.
0: Part, part of what's happened, and I observed this, and, and it kind of, once I kind of observed this, and it wasn't really my full observation, I've talked with folks about it, but this is when it became pretty clear to me what's going on. You have members of the legislature, um, Republicans mostly, who represent wealthier parts of Anchorage, you have like Senator Giesel, Senator Muhaff, Representative Copper, Representative Johnston. Their constituents are higher-income folks. They don't care about a dividend as much as people in poorer districts. So then you have Representative Fields, uh, you know, Representative Foster, Representative Sponholz, others who their people in, in their districts are poor, they're lower-income. They want a dividend, right? But, but those folks also um, want certain spending on certain programs, government programs. The other folks, Republicans representing the wealthier folks, those, their constituents don't want taxes. They don't care so much about the dividend. They just don't want a tax. So they've created this alliance where they won't, they won't agree to tax the Democrats or who Republicans as well, but those folks won't agree to taxes as long as the other folks agree to their spending and their programs. So the result is uh, spending kind of doesn't go down very much but, you know, everybody's kind of getting what they want. You see what I'm saying? It's it's well, a, it's, I, it's an I, alliance that probably would confuse most, uh, you know, political observers.
1: Well, I don't think it confuses any political observer who's got a brain in their head and has been paying attention. The, the, what what you're describing is largely true. Factions in Alaska, they know what they don't want. Yeah. And a lot of Republicans, not all, but a lot of Republicans, they don't want any taxes. Well, could, and be, frankly, because they, their
0: constituents don't.
1: Well... Right. But for example, a PFD formula uh, or or, or a a tax formula that says um, your max tax is three times what you get for a permanent fund in a year. You know, if you put a cap on it and and related it to the dividend, that might be one way of doing it. But, you know, they can't even think about doing something creative with taxes. So what we have is a lot of people who they don't want to pay any taxes. They want huge amounts of, of government services. And, you know, they say we're rugged individual, individuals up here, but they're, they're still hooked on, on money from, from Washington, D.C., and coming from the appropriation process down here. And we have a largely dysfunctional um, government.
0: I mean, I, I think, based on what I just said and we've talked about, the only way to, to really solve this... I believe is a comprehensive, uh, call it a grand bargain, where everybody has to give up a little bit of something. But then by doing that, you know maybe there's a, some taxes, maybe there's a change of the formula, but it goes in the you know con- may- whatever it is, right? Maybe there's no, some well, cuts I, to spending. I mean, but you can't do any of these things singularly by themselves. You have to do them all together.
1: Well, that's right. But we have insufficient individuals involved in the legislative and executive branch at this time to come up with a grand bargain that works okay for everybody they all know what they don't want what, what they hen- don't want taxes they don't want cuts you know some of them they want increased spending and what, so the the result is gridlock and and it causes a lot of suffering what, in the state of alaska
0: what henry clay say the great compromiser you know you, you know you've reached a good deal when no one's happy
1: well it's not a matter of getting happy it's you know Richard Posner and the people who do work on economics and law at the University of Chicago long ago realized everybody's first choice in public policymaking is extremely—satisfying that is extremely difficult. It's not about happiness. It's getting satisfaction and a result that works for almost everybody Mm -hmm. most of the time. And so where you want to be in public policymaking is the next best option, the one that everybody says— I could live with that. I could live with that. I really like that part. This is good and I really don't like that, but it's I'm I'm going to subordinate my really don't so, like. So
0: so do you think what's lacking is um the caliber or the kind of comp, comp composition of the legislature and and the executive or do you think what's lacking is just some some person or some kind of leader leader or a group of people who says, here's what we're going to do, here's how we're going to do it, they're going to make it happen, they're going to sell it, they're going to... Is it both of those things, or is it one of well, those things? I,
1: I'm very wary of saying a leader, you know, the big man theory. I mean, it's people... Maybe it's, a, maybe it's a small group of... Like Listen, I, said, I watched Jay Hammett, as good a governor as we have. I even watched Walter J. Hickel. They can't impose their will on the legislature. They can't say, this is it, take it or leave it. Right, they but you, worked but you, with you, the but legislature. You can get in a room,
0: and you can... You can you can debate, or you can uh, negotiate.
1: Right. So what we have is too few people, and, and and in the legislature, it's it's not that the current president or past presidents in, in the last ten years, or the the speaker, it's not that they're bad, or that. But but they cannot impose. They wound up in the leadership role over a fractured and fractious group of people, and the collective result in the legislature is. It's very hard to structure a comprehensive bargain, as you said, that that works for Alaskans, where everybody has to not get their first choice and and frankly, I watch the negotiations and the, the maneuvering around the legislature. Um, it has a lot in common with the discussions about how to create a Palestinian state. Um, you'll never get there because there's always a holdout, and you know you've got people like. David Eastman, even if you reached a deal that everybody in the legislature said was, I can live with this, you know, he'll vote no, uh, you know, and, act, and well, you can, basically I mean, you, you, in political you, terrorist you, times. You
0: can afford to have some people vote. You, you know, you need 11 and I guess 21, but you, ideally oh, you want more yeah. than that. Because now,
1: I, I learned long ago how to count to 21 and 11, uh, unless you're but dealing with the constitutional ha, matter.
0: Have you read uh, Mandela's book, Long Walk to Freedom? I have not. You should read it. It's a great book. But the big... you know autobiography about his life but the big takeaway of that book is uh you know the theme i guess to to that book is leadership and you know he was in jail for 28 years he was locked up for fighting for freedom you know he got out apartheid ended um the the blacks in south africa a lot of them wanted to go to civil war they wanted to enact revenge sure settle scores they wanted to kill kill the white south africans i mean it was very clear that was going that way he was elected and you know he, he explained that that you know, you elected me as a leader, let me lead you and tell you why that's not a good idea. We're not going to do that. And a lot of other things he talked about that were, you know, seen as not popular, but he explained sometimes as a leader, you have to explain the right decision, even if right. majority but, but let people me jump don't understand in there. that. And that's it, important because we elect these people to make these decisions it, and they know a lot more because they're there every day. They're paying attention to it.
1: You're, you're I completely agree with that, but you know what Nate makes a good leader, whether it's. Nelson Mandela or Jay Hammond or Grace Scheibel, who was the first Attorney General, you know what made him good leaders? Uh, you know what made Clem T- Tillian and Hugh Malone a good leader? They listened more than they talked. What's and it man? really is that simple. And you've got people who, in our legislature, like uh, Senator Reinbold, who, if if she was told she had to listen to people and try to understand what they do for 15 minutes or she would die, she would be going west. She would not be... She is incapable of listening. And because she's incapable of leading, she's uh, listening, she can't be a leader. And she's not a leader. She's marginalized herself uh, and, and people like David Eastman. And we have too few people who are listen, and they don't have the experience yes. for accommodating the, the diverse needs... And so it just turns out to be an exercise in this sort of weird tribal dynamic where if you're not with me I'm going to kill you.
0: Well there's 60 of them and you you really you need a few you you're not going to have 60 leaders. I mean that's the whole point of a leader. I mean you're going to have to have somebody needs to be in charge or or be willing to but, get but people to to kind of understand the goal. Being and go in charge and,
1: doesn't mean telling people what to do. I, it means I listening I, I to I them and reaching reaching a level where you can bring 21 or 11 alone, and, and, or I, on a constitutional I, I, issue, uh, uh, more.
0: And I'm not saying telling. I mean, there's probably too much of that going on. I'm talking about getting the people in a room, listening, giving your point, hearing their point. Because at some point, you have to, we can't keep doing this every year. We're well, I mean, fighting I, over this I, dividend. How much is $1,000, $3,000, $2,000? I couldn't
1: agree with you more. But if we keep doing this, the, the social fabric of this big, wonderful state we live in is already starting to fray. And it's going to fray and fray and fray and thin out. It's just like your old T-shirt that you put in the dryer all the time. And the heat and the tumbling action, eventually it thins out and it falls apart. That is what's going on in our little democracy up here. And if it keeps going, we're going to fail. Now, does that sound like hyperbole? Sure. There is no guarantee. Having a constitution you know, engaging in legislative actions and administrative action is not a guarantee life will keep going on successfully. You have to work at it every day. And it's got to be people of good faith that are willing to listen, willing to accommodate other views, and get on with life. And we don't have enough people like that in the Finding current legislature.
0: People with those at, you know, those attributes are listening and good faith. <laughs> it's not easy. Well,
1: I, I'm Jeff, this is your show. I'm not going to ask you who you think are the adults in the legislature? I mean, to
0: be honest with you, I don't. I don't. There's, there's no. Don't there's, please don't. don't I'm not going to give any name. I'm just saying there's, a, there's there's a there's clearly a lack of um, overall leadership because we are where we are and it's been that way for. It's not. Well, current I, d- it's, I do it's, give it's, credit
1: it's, to the speaker and the president managed to get down here and convene this last few days and well, they and did their constitutional and, and, job.
0: And I want to go into that. I want to talk about. We're coming up to an hour, which is. But you're such a. Fast, it's such a good podcast. I could probably do two hours with you, but um, I know you got to go. go well, soon. What are
1: you bored here, Jeff? I mean,
0: no, I love it. this. Is great. I, people, <laughs> listeners are going to like this podcast. But um, what I'm talking about is you still have these big questions that are unresolved, and that you, we saw this la- last session, the session before. We've seen it for going back three or four sessions. This this elephant in the room of this dividend. Nobody wants to talk about it.
1: No. Well, let's but, be clear. But, but, let's be clear. The current legislature, as it's constituted. Is not going to pay a dividend next year.
0: Well, we have elections. Yeah, elections coming up, so we'll. that's, yeah. that's going to change. And some people, so, are, some people already aren't running. Several people aren't running.
1: Well, for so for for anybody out there in Alaska who's listening to this, and I, you know, whether you're living in Bethel or Ketchikan or even Hyder, you know, if you don't want to get a dividend, and, and that's your big issue and everything, you should talk to your legislature and make your decision on that. But right now, if you return everybody in the legislature. You know, even the people that, that who, with the best of intentions, Democrats like Chris Tuck and Bill Willikowski, and, and good, solid Republicans like Shelley Hughes uh, and Craig Schauer, who want to pay a dividend. Mike yeah, yeah, excuse me. Um, they, want, they all want to pay a dividend, R's and D's, senators and, uh, you know, Tuxo representative. There, there's not enough of them to pay the dividend. And there's Republicans and Democrats who are in league to not pay a dividend. So if 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 your PFD dividend is your big issue, um, check your down cards and and, and, and vote accordingly. But uh, i got to tell you, it's not that I'm cynical. I just don't see any way no, that there's going to be— you're a, little, you're
0: a little bit cynical. <laughs>
1: well, cynicism <laughs> is usually based on going around the blocks a few times mm-hmm. and having some experience. And that doesn't make my opinion necessarily— uh, come true, but the likelihood that there's going to be a dividend next year, you know, more than a couple hundred bucks is pretty close to zero because the politicians would rather substitute, the the majority of them, substitute their judgment on how to spend public money instead of giving a little slice of it to the citizens who can use it to pay their heating oil or buy parts for an outboard motor or, you know, gamble it away. They, They actually think unconsciously perhaps, they're better at spending the public's money than the I public mean, there There's is.
0: definitely there's, there's that sentiment from some people. The last thing I want to talk about, um, I know you got to go soon, but this lawsuit, this is kind of the, the well, big...
1: Well, I, I, I do have, I have to go to a vestry meeting of my church. How, much time, I, got, how
0: much time you got left?
1: Uh, it starts at 5.30, but... Let's just... I have, let's just say I have enough time. To let's just do a few yourself. minutes
0: on this. This is the big elephant in the room here is, you. Uh, you as a lawyer with a guy, Eric for um, as plaintiff filed the lawsuit last week, two days after the legislative budget and audit committee approved the governor's request for fund for appropriation for this uh, federal COVID aid, hundred one point two five billion. 1.25 um, billion. There was a lot of talk about this constitutionality of the LBA committee accepting that. I mean, most listeners probably are familiar with that. Um, you guys, two days later, kind of not surprising many folks filed the lawsuit and they came down. Um, and today the, House, both bodies passed it, the House passed it, actually the Senate passed it first, but the House uh, adjourned first. They did a sine die or, is it, it's it's pronounced differently, isn't it?
1: Well, people pronounce it differently. I think most people in Alaska call it sine die. Yeah, but there's, I think
0: that's not the right pronunciation.
1: Well... I'm an Alaskan, so I'm going to pronounce it the way most Alaskans I'll have to look, do. Off the
0: check, I checked it once, and it was. De- Anyways, yeah. Um, well, so so your old
1: Latin teacher might come up with a better th- one. Th- right?
0: They approved uh, through a non-appropriation bill, basically a bill ratifying what this committee did, accepting the money the governor requested. Um, does that action is that sufficient for your lawsuit to, to stop? Or because some people are still saying it requires an appropriation bill. So talk about talk about that, and talk about generally why to the lawsuit when a lot of folks you know they want this money and they see it um as well why would this happen why would they stop this money from going out
1: well there's a lot to unpack there let me start back up a little bit i keep doing
0: that i keep asking you like two questions three questions
1: um eric for who was a regent region of the university of alaska system and uh spent a lot of time out west and up north uh lived in fairbanks and you know, he's basically, a, well, he says he's a carpenter. He he built homes and had a successful construction career. And he also is a limited entry fisherman, uh, has a uh, black cod permit, I think, which he still fishes. So for about, uh, oh, it was before the, it was right about the 5th of May, called me and he says, oh, Geldof. Was he uh,
0: having some uh, Mexican beers?
1: No, he was not. Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> He said, "Are you paying attention to what's going on with this divvying up the CARES Act money, the federal COVID-19 relief?" And I said, "Yeah, vaguely." And he says, "I think they're screwing around." And of course, what he was picking up on was was correct. Um, Pat Pitney, who is the legislative affairs uh, financial, uh, guru, the legislature's financial guru, mm-hmm. and, and by the way, Pat Pitney was a Olympic medalist. Um, yeah, the
0: um, the um, shooting and. Was it skiing and shooting? No, uh,
1: I think it might have been biathlon or something. Yeah, by, I think it
0: was biathlon. Yeah. Anyway, eighty four.
1: Yeah, Pat Pitney is a straight shooter. Let's, I like. Let's I like that.
0: I like. She was a Walker's OMB director. And
1: yeah, and I like her a lot. She's a straight shooter, and she said there are real problems, and I think she said, for at least some of this money that the that the Legislative Budget and Audit Committee is trying to divvy up, uh, with, uh, based on the governor's. Supposed appropriation. And, and I got to tell you, the governor does not have appropriation authority. Only the legislature has appropriation authority. But as it's been reported and four said, geez, they're trying to divvy up this loot. And uh, and we know they want to get it out and everything else. So the legislature is in session. Uh, LB&A convenes, uh, and there was a lot of arm twisting on that.
0: They're technically still in session, but they're... Not in Juneau, because they well, did like an extent, technically, extended... extended technically,
1: uh, no, they rate. are in session. They were in recess.
0: They, yeah, they did an extended recess.
1: Right, and the governor didn't want to, as he is has the ability, make them convene. So the governor cut a deal with basically five senators and two representatives on how to divvy up the, the, the CARES Act money. Pat Pitney is saying you can't do that, at least with regard to some of this money, upwards of a, a billion dollars, because there's no underlying authority.
0: Basically the bulk of the, bulk of the money.
1: Yeah. And the the, the, the rubric was, well, LB&A will do this through this exotic procedure where we reprogram money instead of getting an appropriation. And then legislative legal comes in and says, there's big legal problems. Don't do this. And, of course, the chairman of LB&A, um, who is... Um, Chris Tuck. Chris Tuck. Tuck says, we got problems here. Well, Tuck in the wonderful world of, of Alaskan politics, gets rolled. And they, they pass this seven, measure. Seven to three. Seven to three. You had, who was it, Representative Sponholz. Sponholz and Josephson. Andy Josephson and Tuck say, no, no, the Constitution doesn't allow this to do this. So you've got legislative legal and legislative affairs um, finance. finance chair, Pat Pitney, saying big problems, big problems, don't do it. They do it anyway on the 11th. And on the 13th, uh, I get a phone call from Mr. Ford who says, Have you been paying attention? And I said, Yeah. And he says, He had actually said, Are we going to have to sue on this? And I said, I don't know. Let's see if they do the right thing. So on the 13th. What's the
0: right thing? Coming
1: come to Juneau? The right thing while the legislature's in session as they are is to come to Juneau. I, you know, I didn't care. They can go to the Egan Center and let people phone it in. And, you know, I thought it was well, kind of. They,
0: they didn't allow themselves to do that before they left. And, and um, April, or I guess it was March. Look, but they, they should. They talked about it. Some some people talked about yeah,
1: it. Yeah. Okay. Let, let me just say this: the likelihood that I or any other lawyer on behalf of somebody would sue during a pandemic, if the if the legislature changed their rules by telephone, is zero. They need to get the job done. They have plenary power, and they could have changed their standing rules through a teleconference. You know, mm. and you know, it, it doesn't matter if so. So. So, so four tells me this is unconstitutional what they're doing. And I said, of course it is. And that's not just my opinion. That was from legislative, you know, affairs agency, their legal shop and their financial shop. So I had another cup of coffee and at 10 o'clock I started typing up a complaint. That, and
0: by that, that e- 3.30. E- 3 <laughs> it's that easy. Well. well for, for, I mean, a lawyer, I couldn't do happen
1: it's like asking a carpenter to make a sawhorse that's what we do it's not that hard so by three thirty, i had filed it and it was kind of dodgy because you know you have to basically stand way away from the clerk's office and yeah, you know, I mean, they have I, to and put I, it in a
0: box and you know but but we got the job done i got wind of it before it was filed i eventually kind of figured it out and then it was filed and i got it And it's not that long it's actually not that long it's pretty well, so Some of these legal things, it's the 30 or 50 or 100 pages. It's hard to... Yours was pretty straightforward.
1: Yeah, it is straightforward because this is like building a sawhorse. This isn't, you know... I mean, what's important if, is to If I to was going to
0: build a sawhorse, believe me, it would be a disaster. Okay.
1: So we got it filed. And the next morning, consistent with my practice, I tried to call the attorney general and see if we could work something out. Because we sued, I'd made a decision to sue the state of Alaska and only name uh, Lucinda Mahoney... In case we needed equitable relief, it's like a re, an it's injunction, a, it's the revenue commissioner. She's the revenue commissioner, and you know, people said, "Well, why didn't you sue uh, President Giesel or, or Speaker Edgman or the governor?" Because Mr. Ford didn't want to make this a political deal or a personality deal. We just wanted all he wanted was two things: he wanted the legislature to convene, and he wanted the legislature to pass an act allocating this money in a way that was constitutional
0: but but inevitably it it became i mean it's perceived by everybody as a political
1: well when when you're a politician if you're immature you tend to look at everything as political you know but all this was and all it said in the thing was you got to follow the constitution four wanted them to convene and do their tasks according to the constitution so
0: a lot of a lot of folks and and, and I saw this on the Permanent Fund Defenders Facebook page. I mean, there's a lot of talk about before this happened. I mean, it's not going to happen now, but there was a lot of talk about we can do this to to get a dividend. But that wasn't part of the calculation? or
1: No, and I had to um, inform my colleagues on the board that I, I am not... Mr. For and I, our intention, and Eric For is the, He wasn't trying to leverage the legislature about the Permanent Fund Dividend. He wasn't trying to say... No, the way that Governor Dunleavy carved up the 1.5 billion dollars was bad you, you got to do it this way he, he was accused right away of saying well you're just shilling for the University of Alaska because you're a former region had nothing to do with how the legislature divvies up the pie that's their job they can engage in sausage making the way they want all Eric Ford wanted was to one convene and two pass an act divvying up the funds in a manner that was constitutional to My delight, President Giesel and Speaker Edgman got with the program. I think they took advice from their lawyers and and Ms. Pitney and they decided we're gonna come down to Juneau. Great, check the box on that. They get an A plus for following the Constitution. They passed an act. I give them all the credit in the world for ACT. The trouble is that ACT, as it's passed, especially as it applies to about 900 and some million, has, still has significant constitutional questions. There is no underlying authorization or federal receipt authority to spend the money the way they want. So is the also going to go forward? Mr. Ford directed me. He said, look, and I got to tell you, the AG's office went awol here. They they have been missing, and they won't return phone calls, and they wouldn't participate. Kevin Clarkson, who? Kevin Clarkson, who?
0: <laughs> you keep doing that.
1: Yeah, he, he Mr. Clarkson, and, and the AG's office is awol. I can't talk to the governor. I can't talk to anybody at Revenue because I'm constrained because I'm lawyer. So on Thursday, after or was it Thursday? Yeah, after we filed the suit, called twice, no answer. Called Friday, called twice, no answer, and the, the staff said, I said, do they know what I'm calling about? We're trying to work out a deal and get the language done. You just That's, called, like, the main number or something? <laughs> no, I, yeah, I got Mr. Sniffin and Mr. Clarkson, and they were always in meetings. And, you know, the staff was unfailingly polite. But at one point, the, the, the person I was talking to was almost in tears and said, if you have any question for them, you have to put it in an email and send it. And I said, so we're still in meetings, and we can't talk about a $1.5 billion case involving our Constitution. And this person's almost in tears and says, you just have to put it in an email. So I said, well, it's not the way Av Gross or you know, Doug Bailey or Grace Scheibel or, or, or any of the other AGs I've dealt with would do things, but okay, so I put it in an email. Could we talk about this? We're trying to craft language that's constitutional, they still haven't showed up. So all Mr. Ford wanted was something in the the enactment portion of it that says the legislature ratifies and authorizes because authorization is in the Constitution at Article 9, Section 13. Appropriation is in the Constitution. This This should have been an appropriation bill. I mean, that's pretty clear to anybody who looks at this for more than 10 seconds. But... Ratification is not in the Constitution. And you can't ratify something that's not authorized Well, there was this
0: whole discussion they keep bringing up in 87 with the Sheffield and the impounding money. So here's
1: how that went down. There was a valid constitutional appropriation of money. Oil prices dropped. Bill Sheffield impounded money under his supposed executive powers. The Alaska Supreme Court says there was a valid appropriation, just like the Nixon impoundment case, back in the 70s, you can't unilaterally impound money in a manner inconsistent with a valid appropriation that went through the constitutional process. The legislature, because we were still suffering some stuff, finally came back after it was declared unconstitutional, Bill Sheffield, Governor Sheffield's acts, and said, you know, we're going to ratify your subtraction. This is not a subtraction issue. This is an addition. And the papers are reporting, and I think that's what the governor and the LBNA said they're trying to appropriate money. LBNA and the governor have no authority under our constitution to appropriate money. So all we asked was to clean this up and get a, a D plus on the constitutional grading scale. Make an act that says we it, are ratifying and authorizing. Is D plus a pass? D plus is a passing grade, <laughs> and it's pretty good for our legislature anymore. No, you know. For reasons that I don't apprehend, they refuse to put in authorization in the top line of the act that, that the House passed and that the Senate's going to pass tomorrow. Mr. Ford, looking at that situation and taking counsel from me and a number of other people, including retired jurists and attorney generals, were all groaning and said, okay, here's how this is going to go down. Eric Ford directed us to not dump the case we will leave the legal part of it what what we believe the the legislature did was unconstitutional at least in part with the 900 and some thousand for the revenue sharing and the fishery stuff is yeah 900 million um but mr ford directed me we are not going to see to enjoin those funds even though we had a pretty good chance of enjoining the distribution of the the funds uh, at least the portion that for which there's no authorization eric four looked at that and he said this is a bad situation but alaskans are suffering and they are businesses are suffering and eric four said can i not try to uh, hold up that money even though it's unconstitutional and i said if that's what you want me to do that is what is going to be done so on friday after tomorrow, when the Senate is going to rubber stamp uh, this measure passed by the House today, which, you know, not all of it. They can ratify stuff that's that's good to go, and portions of it are okay. But the 900 and some million dollars for which there is no previous authorization, just as Pat Pitney told him, you know, a couple weeks ago, that is unconstitutional, and we will litigate that out. But Eric Ford is not going to stand in the way uh, or or seek an injunctive relief trying to hold that money there because he realizes Alaskans they shouldn't suffer for the dim ball backs of the legislature. So the
0: conventional wisdom seems to, to me to be talking to lawyer friends of mine and people who are familiar with you know legislative legislative and court issues, that if the legislature has 21 and 11 votes, you know, House and Senate, then the courts are apprehensive or hesitant to get involved in legislative business. Is this that case? Is this the case where...
1: I would say generally speaking, um, I mean, first of all, measures that are passed are assumed to be constitutional. You have to make a showing. And I think we can do that in this case. But just because you have 21 and 11 and you pass something, I mean, you could pass... A bill. If you have twenty-one votes and, and eleven votes that says um, no native can get Medicaid, that's uh, unconstitutional.
0: Uh, uh, of course, of course, I agree with I agree with that. I mean,
1: there's so the issue here is they got twenty-one votes and eleven votes at least in both chambers. They're going to get it to not do an appropriation, which is what the Constitution says, but instead ratify something. That hasn't been authorized. There is no authorization or authority for spending this money in existing law.
0: I guess I meant in this case, the courts would say, look, they both bodies gave the blessing of this committee and they accepted the money and they kind of said, okay." and maybe there's some technicalities there. But I just talking, always looking at the stuff with the legislature and the courts, it seems the courts are pretty hesitant to get involved in the legislative business unless they really, 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 there's a compelling reason.
1: Well, Mr. Ford and I aren't going to drag him through the legislature's you know, business on how they did this. We're going to ask, and the judiciary is quite competent and typically they will protect Alaska's constitution. You know, they will understand, the judiciary will understand what the legislature did here in allocating money by not following an appropriations bill is pretty wild, okay? And, you know, we can talk and the judge will figure out or the Supreme Court will figure out, well, there was a whole lot of silliness going on down there. So let's look. What does the Constitution require? It requires an Appropriation Act. Didn't happen. What did they do? They ratified. They ratified something for which there was no legal authorization or authority. So what are we ratifying? They needed to put in authorization, in my view. And so what, what, what they think the court system will do if we have to litigate this down the trail is they're saying, you know, you really engaged in conduct that's inconsistent with our Constitution, and don't do that again. So because, it's a
0: slap on the wrist.
1: No, it gives them guidance that maybe if they Over, pay f- attention... For the, fu- for the future. For the future. So because, the, you know, Eric Four is a practical guy and a principled guy. The principle was, get them back here. Check the box on that. Did it. The principle was, make them do an act. Ideally, an appropriations act. Wouldn't do it. Okay. So, at some point, the practical side of Eric Ford takes over, and he says, I, you know, just because they can't follow the Constitution doesn't mean I'm going to make Alaskans suffer. Get the money out, and Geldof litigate the issue of whether they screwed up down the trail. And I said... That is a decent thing to do for the citizens of Alaska, and I'll try to do that.
0: So I know you got to run last question. Um, wh- what does it feel like? You know, you're you're a pretty powerful person. I mean, you you uh, you and this guy Eric Forer, made sixty people from all over the state come to Juneau. Do you? I mean, that, to me that feels like a pretty powerful thing. A lot of people don't like you for it. A lot of, a lot of legislators are upset with you. But does, do you feel like you're? A, you have some power there. I mean, what what does it feel like to be able to do something and within a couple of days boom everybody have to come back here?
1: Well, I would be lying to you if I said I'm not unaware of some of the criticism that Mr. Ford has received or I've received. Oh, some of it's pretty public, yeah. I mean, yeah, <laughs> some well, of it's private, heard, but some of it's public. You know, the former chief of staff under Bill Walker has been running his yap and saying that I'm only doing this for my ego. And um, you know, Scott Kendall, who made that statement, just for example, Mm -hmm. you know, I had forgotten that he has a PhD in in human psychology and can read my mind. But I can assure you, I would, you know, when I woke up on last Wednesday and was directed to file the complaint, my first priority was to finish my coffee and to go out and look at the snow geese. And at my age and station in life, uh, I don't need to do another constitutional case. I didn't need any of this. Um, you know, but I'm compelled because somebody that I think is principled wants to defend the constitution. I'm compelled to do this because if Eric for some other citizen doesn't stand up for the Alaska constitution and make the legislature try to do their job, you know, what kind of a society is that to live in? And, you know, I'm always going to side with guys like for in defense of our constitution. But it's not about my ego. It's certainly not about getting paid, you know. Uh, it it's absolutely has nothing to do with getting power, uh, you know, over anybody. You know, I'm, I'm delighted that President Giesel and Speaker Edgman recognize there's a serious constitutional issue and they brought him back. It's unfortunate that they couldn't squeeze out something that was marginally constitutional at least in part. And so we'll, we'll litigate that so that future legislatures and the governor will have some guidance. But like, like here's, what, here's what's wrong about this, not just how they allocated the money and did this. An appropriation bill has to give the chief executive officer, the governor, the ability to strike or reduce funds. The bill that they passed, unless Kevin Clarkson wakes up and starts construing this in a manner that's consistent with the Constitution and says, well, I don't care what they called it. It's still an appropriations bill. It passed 21 to 11 or whatever the final vote is. And Governor Dunleavy actually has, I believe, under our Constitution, a right to strike or reduce. I don't think he will. Yeah, but
0: it's, but it's, 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 yeah. His, it's his request. It's his cooked-up deal, <laughs> and as,
1: the, as you and the press said, you know, Governor Dunleavy's is appropriating. I, I can't tell you how wrong, wrong, wrong it is. The governor under our constitutional system does not appropriate.
0: Well, I, I said he re- requested.
1: No, well, no, I'm talking about other things in the paper, said the governor. The appropri- yeah. Governor and LBA want to appropriate this way. You know is the governor a powerful guy, whether it's Steve Cooper or you know Sarah Palin? Yeah, under our constitution, our chief executive officer is powerful, but they do not have the ability to appropriate. Only the legislature does. The governor has the ability to strike or reduce. And so, right now, that bill that passed, I, I or was going to pass tomorrow.
0: It passed both, but the house they, they did theirs. They they adjourned first, so now the Senate has to do it tomorrow.
1: Right. The measure is unconstitutional in part for various reasons, including unless Kevin Clarkson gets on with the you know gets with the program and says, Governor, this is really an appropriations bill, and it's just a fraud exercise
0: like like you you said you didn't like maybe the final result but like you said earlier it's uh maybe the next best alternative you know it's better than nothing
1: well next best doesn't include constitutional and eric forrest oh <laughs> you no know, next best would have been if they would have put in authorize and while they were at it you know we we suggest why don't you put in a section that says if you get more covid-19 Relief money from the federal government, but, why don't you authorize the expenditure which is possible. through the RPL procedure? You know, because you know, what, what's gonna happen now if they want to do this right? If if Nancy Pelosi and the gang send, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars, as they are likely to do to Alaska, you know, notwithstanding that Alaskans all think Nancy Pelosi's a horrible human being or something, hmm. when the Congress passes a next relief bill because of this pandemic the legislature's going to have to call themselves into special session or the governor's going to have to call them into special session to appropriate the money. And so four ask them to put in a section that says, could you authorize expenditure according to the RPL procedure or some other means? Did they do it? No. In their haste to get out of here, in their haste to you know, do something, they missed an opportunity to help the public. So we're going to be back at this, Arguably, maybe, down the trail.
0: Well, on, on that note, I I will end with uh, I think no matter what, this whole exercise really proves or highlights the uh, concept of separation of powers and you know three coequal branches. So, if, if anything highlights that concept, it's probably this case. So I appreciate okay. appreciate your time, Joe. Fascinating conversation. You uh, you have a very um, unique way of explaining kind of complicated topics and discussing them in a way that I think somebody like me can understand. So I really appreciate it. Yeah. Just don't call anybody a goofball. Well, it depends on around who (laughs)
1: You
0: can say a lot worse around me. I don't care.
1: Jeff, thank you so much for having me on your podcast.
0: Yeah, no, I'm sorry. We couldn't do it before, but I'm glad it's happened now. And uh, we'll, we'll, I think we'll do it again uh, next time in Juneau or if you're in Anchorage. And last thing I want to say a few months ago, maybe it was more than that. You asked my address, I gave it to you and you sent me a postcard. I did, and it was an airplane. It was a what was that? I forget. I, I still have it. I saved it, so I appreciate. I love. I love getting. Nobody does that anymore. Hardly anybody. So, well, I, uh, I appreciate that. Who doesn't
1: like it? You know, postcards are the sort of entry level, the 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 cheesiest level of correspondence. But
0: I think it was. Ca- I think you were in California, weren't you, or maybe East Coast? It was a. It was an airplane. It was a military, uh, plane, and it was just nice to get it. So could be. Well. Appreciate it, that.
1: It, it's better than getting a bill or a solicitation for a credit card. Much, you know, much, much better. I all get right, nice to be on your show. Okay, thanks, Joe. Thanks, thanks, thanks a million.
0: again, yep. um, folks. If you have an idea for a podcast or want to do a podcast, get a hold of me and stay tuned for the next one.